Hi, it's really lovely to, to see you all here this evening. Thank you for, thank you for coming. And um, I'm going to read from 1 Kings chapter 17 and verses 1 to 16. And I'm actually, I'm actually reading from the New Living Translation. The only reason is because it's the Bible I've got with the biggest print. So, <laughs> Some people at the door. Now, Elijah, who was from Tishbe in Gilead, told King Ahab, As surely as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, the God I serve, there will be no dew or rain during the next few years until I give the word. Then the Lord said to Elijah, Go to the east and hide by Kerith Brook, near where it enters the Jordan River. Drink from the brook and eat what the ravens bring you, for I have commanded them to bring you food. So Elijah did as the Lord told him and camped beside Kerith Brook, east of the Jordan. The ravens brought him bread and meat each morning and evening, and he drank from the brook. But after a while, the brook dried up, for there was no rainfall anywhere in the land. Then the Lord said to Elijah, Go and live in the village of Zarephath near the city of Sidon. I have instructed a widow there to feed you. So he went to Zarephath, and as he arrived at the gates of the village, he saw a widow gathering sticks, and he asked her, Would you please bring me a little water in a cup? And as she was going to get it, he called to her, Bring me a bite of bread too. But she said, I swear by the Lord your God that I don't have a single piece of bread in the house, and I only have a handful of flour left in a jar and a little cooking oil in the bottom of the jug. I was just gathering a few sticks to cook this last meal, and then my son and I will die. But Elijah said to her, Don't be afraid. Go ahead and do just what you've said, but make a little bread for me first. Then use what's left to prepare a meal for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. There will always be flour and olive oil left in your containers until the time when the Lord sends rain and the crops grow again. Father, we just ask that you would just reveal yourself through your word tonight. We thank you for your word. We ask that you would just bless it to us, Lord, and that we would just be touched and just find out more about yourself and your love for us tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So, I've got, I've got, my, got my book of notes here. My daughter was a bit shocked. She said, Mum, that looks like a long talk. But fear not, we're not going to be here till midnight. This is, this is my choir um, booklet, which has got all the choir songs in, so I've just used it to tuck my notes in, so it's not, it's not actually as long as it looks, so don't worry. <clears throat> so, just to set the scene, this story takes place in about 874 BC, when Ahab was king of Israel. And in the previous chapter, which we haven't read tonight, we were told that he was worse than all of his predecessors. 
he married Jezebel, the daughter of a Gentile king, from the, not from the tribe of, of Israel, as he should have done. And he began to serve Baal, a pagan god, and he worshipped him. And we're told that he provoked the anger of, of Yahweh, the God of Israel, more than any of the other kings of Israel before him. So this is the backdrop of <clears throat> where our story happens tonight. So, enter Elijah. He was the first in a long line of prophets that God sent to Israel and Judah. Israel was the northern kingdom and, and uh, Judah the southern. And Israel, the northern kingdom, had no faithful kings throughout its history. Each king had led the people in worshipping pagan gods. The priests were appointed by the kings, and they were corrupt and ineffective. So with no kings or priests to bring God's words to the people, God sent prophets to the rescue. And he wanted to rescue Israel from its moral and spiritual decline. And for the next 300 years, these men and women play vital roles in encouraging the people and leaders to turn back to God. Now, as we've heard, Ahab worshipped Baal, and he was a pagan god who was um, believed to be a harvest god and master over the weather and crops and fertility. And God had just had enough of Ahab and his worshipping these false and pagan gods. And we were, we were about to see Almighty God display his power over them. So God raised up Elijah to deliver a message. He used him to confront and not to comfort. And God's desire is always for his people. And he wanted the hearts of the Israelites to turn back to him and to drive out the false gods and the idols from their land. Now in verse 1, we read that Elijah has just announced to Ahab a season of drought and no rain for the next few years. And so God tells Elijah to go and wait beside a brook where he has water to drink and that God will send ravens to feed him. Now ravens were seen as really dirty and unclean creatures. And you know, God Almighty God, he could have used angels to, to come and, and minister and to look after Elijah, but he chose to show that he can serve his own purposes by the lowliest of creatures as well and as effectively as by the mightiest. And I don't know about you, but I actually find that really encouraging. So when the brook dried up, the Lord told Elijah to go to Zarephath near Sidon, where he's instructed a widow to feed him. Sidon was a Gentile city, so Elijah was actually the first prophet of the Gentiles. And as Elijah arrived at the gates of the village, he saw the widow gathering her sticks, and he asked her for a cup of water. As she went to get it, he called after her and asked if she would get him some bread too. So she replied, as we've heard, that she didn't have a single piece of bread left in the house, but only enough flour and oil just to make one last meal for her and her son, and then they would die of starvation. 
So, a few things stand out here. We read in verse 9 that the Lord had instructed the widow to feed Elijah, if inferring that the widow would have known before Elijah showed up that she'd been asked to feed him. Yet when Elijah arrives, we find her gathering sticks. And for what? To cook one last meal for herself and for her son. So God asked her to provide for the needs of someone else. But she's looking after number one. Why? In her conversation with Elijah, this lady reveals that she is in lack. She is poor. She has no bread and only enough oil and flour for one more meal. So God has asked this widow to do something that she didn't feel able to do. He asked her to give out of her lack. And it's easy, isn't it, to give out of abundance. But what about when God asks us to do something and we just feel that we haven't got anything left to give? So what was the widow's response? She heard the instruction. She saw the reality of her situation and she became fearful. What was being asked of her seemed impossible. She looked at her son and herself and she feared for their future. And that fear led to self-protection. They needed what little reserves they had for themselves. And a normal reaction, you might say, for a mother. She decided to cook for herself and her son one last time. Then Elijah shows up, the man God said would come, and asks her for food. And her answer is very real and vulnerable. She could have pretended that she was, yes, collecting the sticks ready to cook a meal for Elijah. But instead, she tells the truth. Her lack of food and her fear is exposed to Elijah. And he responds, don't be afraid. And he tells her to go ahead and make some food as she planned, but to make some bread for him first, then use what's left over to make the meal for herself and her son. And Elijah reassures her that the Lord, the God of Israel, says there will always be flour and oil left in your containers until the Lord sends rain and the crops grow again. So what's lovely about Elijah's response is that he recognizes that fear and vulnerability in her, and he doesn't condemn her by saying, I can't believe that you didn't do as God instructed you. He recognizes her fragility and also asks her to step out of her comfort zone. And this mirrors God's tenderness towards, tenderness towards us. And he often asks us to step out of our comfort zone. How do we respond? Phil asked me about two months ago, while, while Edward is on sabbatical, he said, will, will you preach one Sunday evening, Jan? So I said, Phil, out of all the things that I do, it's the one thing I don't want to do. And I left it at that, and he didn't see any more. And I thought, oh, have I got away with it? <laughs> But, you know, when God wants you to do something, he doesn't let it go. And the Holy Spirit kept nagging me, you know. And I kind of knew that, that I had to do it. And then Phil asked me again, you know, some weeks later. So I said, oh, okay. So that's why I'm here. <laughs> so, um, again, talking about of stepping out of our comfort zone. Um, the first mission trip I went on in, to India in 2011, um, Sarah Buttrick 
was leading it. And we were having a, a meeting at her house before we went off. There was there were six of us. And she said, you know, are there any natural public speakers here? And I don't think any of us volunteered. And I remember specifically saying, nope, I'm afraid not. And there was, there was no way that I was going to get up and, and speak in front of a group of 150 women or so at, at a conference. But I'd heard that Chandra, the pastor's wife in Hyderabad, where we go, that she often would just drop you in at the last minute and ask you to lead a, a home group or something. So I, I prepared a talk just in case, just up my sleeve, just in case I needed it. And yes, I did end up leaving a home group in a small house in the back streets of Hyderabad and people were, were spilling out into the open space outside. There were so many people there. But, but you know, God is faithful and, and he was with me. And in his strength, I did it. And you may have heard that it said that God doesn't choose the equipped, but he equips the chosen. And he doesn't ask us to do anything that we cannot do in his strength. And as we step out in faith to be used by the Lord, he will honor that and he will go before us. And faith is, is a living thing and the more we use it and exercise it, it's like a muscle. The, the stronger it grows and the stronger it becomes. And over the years since then, I've spoken in um, many conferences in India and Nepal because God has equipped me. It's nothing that I have, could have done in my own strength. All glory is to him. So if you feel that the Lord is maybe calling you to do something you don't feel equipped to do, just trust him. He won't let you down. Take those first baby steps of faith and he'll, he'll be there for you every step of the way. Now, I don't know about you, but I often see or hear things in, in just everyday life and, and I say to myself, oh, there's a sermon in there somewhere. And um, it's like a modern day parable. So we know that a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And a couple of weeks ago, Howard and I were in Corfu, and we noticed in the corner of one of the buildings, there was, a, there was a nest, and there was two little tiny baby chicks in it. And at the beginning of the week, you could just see their eyes peering over the edge of the nest, and always had their mouths open, and sort of mummy bird would, would come back and feed them. And by the end of the week, I think on the, on the last day, they were right on the edge of the nest, and mum was coming back and flying up to him. There was a lot of chattering going on. Then she'd fly away, and then she'd come back. And, and as I watched, one of the little birds just opened its wings and took flight. And, and off it went with mum and followed mum and then came back and went off again. And the other bird was obviously not quite as brave. And mum kept coming back and chatting, chatting, but the other little bird, it, it obviously wasn't ready to go. It didn't want to go. And it made me think that this is how Jesus treats us. He treats us all as individuals. He doesn't treat us all the same. He knows that we've got different strengths and different weaknesses. And he, he gently leads us and encourages us to step out in faith. So back to Elijah... He, like the Lord, asked the widow again to give out of her lack. 
He also gives her a promise from God that he will fill the places of need in her life. He will fill her jar with flour and he will fill her jug with oil. He will replace her poverty with abundance. You know, God loves to bless his children and he doesn't bless us begrudgingly. He seeks us out because it is his pleasure to do us good. He's not waiting for us. He is pursuing us. And we all, I think, know Psalm 23. And that's the literal meaning of Psalm 23, verse 6. Surely goodness and mercy shall pursue me all the days of my life. God wants to fill those areas of need in our lives. So the widow obeyed. She gave out of her lack. And that sets her up to see God do a miracle And, you know, every miracle, however small, begins with an act of obedience. She saw God come through in her area of need. And she realizes that she has nothing but that God is bigger and able. The Lord could have asked someone else to feed Elijah, someone richer, with more food, someone stronger, not a widow, a foreigner to Israel from the same home territory as Jezebel. But he didn't. Why? Because he loves to show up in our weakness. And that's what I love so much about this story that's tucked away deep in the Old Testament. His power is made perfect in our weakness. And in 2 Corinthians 12, it says, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. So God didn't use a rich or great man of Sidon to look after Elijah, but a poor widow woman in want. And it's God's way and for his glory to make use of and put honor upon the weak and foolish things in the world's eyes. And it's interesting that David, who was in church this morning, David used that example as well, that God, God loves to use the weak and foolish things in the world's eyes to um, achieve his glory and to bring about his purposes. So sometimes we may feel we have nothing to give, but we have a God that reminds us so often our lack and our weakness can set the stage for a revelation of his glory, for a miracle. We serve the God of the five, the five and the two, the five loaves and the two fish. We bring to him what little we have, And he can multiply that and use that for his glory and for the extension of his kingdom. We have struggles and hard times, but God loves it when we are real and vulnerable with him. In that place, he gently reminds us of his word, of his call on our lives. He reminds us that our situation doesn't affect what he alone can do. He reminds us that he is the only one who can show up and fill the areas of lack of need in our lives. There are three things to remember from this story. One, God speaks and it is our job to listen. Two, God leads, it's our job to follow and God's timing is always right. Three, God blesses and it's our job to be prepared to receive it. Now, God told Elijah, when he told him to go to the brook, that he would provide for him there. There was where the brook was. There 
was where the water was. There is where the ravens were. God is saying, there is where I am. This is where my blessings for you are. If you want to receive the blessings of God, you have to be in the right place to receive them. And that includes the right place spiritually. Your heart needs to be right. You can walk away from that place. You can walk out of that place of blessing. I did that for many years. I was baptized when I was 14, grew up in a Christian home, was just a bright young Christian, and then sort of got into my 20s and 30s, and absolutely still believed in Jesus, but I just gave him just an hour of my time a week when I went to church. The rest of the week, the rest of the time was mine. I didn't give that to God. I wasn't living in that place of blessing. But praise God, he never gives up on us. We've heard he pursues us. And 14 years ago, I surrendered the reins of my life to Jesus. I returned to that place of blessing. And many of you will have heard me say before that a verse that means so much to me is found in Joel. And it says... I will repay you, and I always get emotional when I talk about this, sorry. I will repay you for the years the locusts have eaten. And the Lord has repaid me for those wasted years and blessed me so much in so many ways by using me and allowing me to serve him. In the slums of India, on rubbish dumps, high up in mountain villages in Nepal, in the slums of Kathmandu, in Long Latin prison just down the road, in this church family, and the fact that I'm standing here today talking to you is, is all glory to God. Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. None of this, none of it I could do in my own strength. It's, it's all God working in me. And God wants us all to be in that place of blessing and in 2 Peter 3, we read, The Lord is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And probably the most famous verse in the Bible, John 3:16, For God so loved the world, not just loved, God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So I've got another modern-day parable for you. So some of you may have seen a new game show recently hosted by Lee Mack, the comedian, called The One Percent Club. Has anybody seen it? Yeah, it's for you down there. So there are 100 contestants who have 14 questions to answer, starting with a question they say 90% of the people will get right. Until the last question, they say only 1% of the people will get right. And it's, it's, um, it's not general knowledge, it's like lateral thinking and brain teasers, and I love that kind of thing. And interestingly, another thing I have in common with David this morning and his sermon is that I too have an invitation. David told us this morning that he had an invitation to go and see the Queen at Buckingham Palace. Well, I have here an invitation 
to, says, congratulations, you have been successful in your application to be a contestant on the 1% Club. <coughs> Filming was on Friday the 1st of July. So, there was also a dress code. It said you have to be smart, dressy and glamorous because you're going to be on TV. Now, I don't do any of those things. So I thought, I'm just going to go and be me. And I'm glad I did because everybody else was just casual and people were in jeans and T-shirt. There were a people, few people dressed up, but, but not many. But I have to tell you, sadly, I did not make it into the 1% Club. I do, when I'm at home, don't I? I often do, but under pressure, I didn't make it into the 1% Club. But I rejoice that I belong to the 100% Club where everybody is invited to become a member. We can't earn a place. It's a free gift. And it's through what Jesus did on the cross for us. And the dress code for that is royal robes that we don't deserve. Robes of righteousness purchased by the blood of Jesus shed for you, shed for me. And God has plans for each one of us. He greatly desires to raise you up, to anoint you and empower you to do great and mighty things in the kingdom. Whoever said that being a Christian is boring? You never know what God has for you next. So are you willing for God to suddenly redirect your steps like he did Elijah and the widow? Are you willing to follow Jesus not only down um, in the in the park waters in the sorry I lost my place not only in the green pastures and still waters but down the road of obscurity and sacrifice and the brook that gave water to Elijah it dried up as brooks and streams do in the drought but John 4 tells us that Jesus will give us living water the Holy Spirit, he says, anyone who drinks the water I will give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh stream bubbling up within them, giving them eternal life. So I pray that we may all know that living water. Amen. So I think we're going to sing again, but if anybody wants prayer for anything, if you feel that God's calling you to step out of your comfort zone and go in a different direction that you maybe weren't expecting, or if anybody wants to join the 100% Club, there's people here that are, that are happy to pray with you. Phil, Hermie, myself, Alan, you know who we are, so please do just, just come and ask one of us. Amen.